Hello, hello, hello. This is Tooth Be Told, Dr. Kyle Dumper. Dr. Walter Aka. Uh, Dr. Alvana. And Dr. Alvana, it's, uh, it's actually kind of amazing. Uh, she is in, in Australia right now. So we're we're, we were trying to fight different time zones, but we got this correct. And, uh, you know, she was gracious enough to stay up really late to come on this podcast. So we're excited about this, Kyle. Uh, yes, and on top absolutely. of that, she's been listening to us for a while. So the first question I have is, how the heck did you find us? How did you find Toothy Code? <laughs> that, that was the first thing I was like, how the heck did you find us? Um, so last year, um, I, we had a lockdown in Victoria, in Australia for six weeks. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a lot of running at the time and I was training for a marathon. So I sent out an Instagram story um, asking people for recommendations on books and podcasts to listen to. And a very kind endodontist then suggested your podcast to me. And uh, once I started listening to it, I was hooked. And I just thought that the topics that you present were very relevant to dental professionals. Okay. And also um, very interesting for me because I could then understand the differences um, in the way dentistry is you know, um, done in the US compared to Australia. And also I really enjoyed the sense of humor that you guys bring on the show as well. Oh, good. We should record it. We're going to record that and just play that over and over again. Yeah. Really? <laughs> That's a, what a great way to start my day. Know, <laughs> this is right? awesome. Man, this, this, that, that was actually way better. Kyle, we're, we're officially kicked off our own podcast. We'll just have her just host it from now on. You know, that, that, that was amazing. Thank you so much. So, so I guess the first question I want to ask is, well, let's get your background. Get your background, and then I have so many questions that I just I just want to know just the difference, like you said, you know, in the U.S. versus Australia. But what's your background? Tell us a little bit. Um, so I'm an endodontist practicing in the city of Melbourne in Victoria in Australia at the moment, and I work part time in um, private practice, um, and I also work at the emergency department of the only dental hospital here. And I teach doctor of dental surgery students in endodontics. And I also examine uh, dentists um, in the Australian Dental Council and also for the Royal Australasian College of Dental Surgeons. Wow. And I also do a part-time PhD as well at the moment in wow. um, education <laughs> in <the> <laughs> Kyle, we, 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 need, we need to do more. We need to do better. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I... We need to do better. I don't feel quite as good anymore this morning. No, no, no. I, you know, I, I woke up. No, I woke up feeling feeling okay about myself, and now I feel like I have to go go do a PhD or something. You know, that is okay. Wow. Can we get? Can we dive into some of that stuff that you just mentioned? Uh, you you said a, a dental hospital, so we don't have dental hospitals in the United States. Can you explain what that is? So we have this um, public dental hospital where patients who are disadvantaged in income uh, or if they are pensioners, um, they can go to the dental hospital for uh, treatment uh, at a reduced fee or no okay. fee at all, depending on their you know, situation with their finance uh, and income levels. Uh, and also it's a place where the students actually work on patients um, as well. and. When patients um, are seen by dental students, they get treated for free. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Kyle, that kind of sounds like uh, Catholic charities. Yeah, yeah. So we have we have yeah, private. Like yeah, we have nonprofit private things along that. Is it associated or inside a, a regular hospital, or is that just a, a standalone thing? Uh, no, there's no, actually no, um, there's, uh, I mean, when you go to the dental hospital, you can't actually use your private health insurance to pay for dental treatment there. Um, uh -huh. so yeah. And even if a patient has private health insurance, if they go there, they still have to pay the standard fees there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So in the government, the government runs this? Yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So it is government run. Okay. Okay, you also brought up the fact that you're uh, an endodontist. Yeah, that's right. How long did how long? So how does that whole thing work? From um, when you're in high school, dental school? Do you go straight to dental school? Do you go into college and then dental school? Like, how does that whole process work? 
So when I uh, did my basic dental degree, it was still a bachelor degree at the time. Okay. Uh, so I finished my basic dental training back in 2001. Um, and then subsequently, I continued with a full-time uh, postgraduate uh, course um, to specialize uh, as an endodontist, which takes uh, three years. Okay. And it actually involves uh, minor thesis as well, and also seeing patients full time too. Oh wow! And so when you were done, you so you started right out of high school when it came to uh, being a dentist, like straight out of high school. Went that's right. To, yeah, went to you your know, training. I, that's right. So I did um, at the time I did the UK system, which was like the right. O and A levels um, before I went to uh, university. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What, uh, so my brother lives in Australia and he's been trying to, he would like for me to move to Australia and he's been trying to convince me for a long time. Uh, you, you've left, been listening to our show for a while. What do you see as, from what we've said about dentistry in the United States, what do you see as the biggest difference between dentistry in the U.S. versus dentistry in Australia? Well, besides the fact that we're always bitter. But besides that, <laughs> <laughs> and Kyle hates insurance. Besides that, what are the differences? <laughs> um, I mean, I can only probably speak from the point of an endodontist, yeah. um, right? Because yeah. I'm sort of comparing, um, uh, you know, how endodontists work in Australia with endodontists in US. Um, and I would say that here, over here, we have a very small group of endodontists. Uh, for example, in my state, we have 35 endodontists working in private practice, uh, serving a population of 6.6 .6 million. Wow. Um, yeah. And among that, you know, there's only probably about nine females out of the group. So we are quite a, a small group of, you know, specialists compared to like, say, in US, you have thousands, you know. Right. Why, why do you? Why do you think yeah. that is? There's such a small number of endodontists. I think it's partly because of the history and the fact that we have only four dental schools in Australia that you know could train um, you know specialists at the moment. I think it's related to manpower and also resources at the universities. Okay. So I think because of that reason, uh, each year each of the schools may just take in one or three students a year to train. So there isn't a very high turnover of uh, specialists in that sense. Well, so the, with that being said, there's a need for more, more dentists, more endodontists, more whoever, right? Um, is it easy to get a license in Australia if you're coming? Let's just say Kyle wants to move to Australia, not because of dentistry, because he likes to surf a lot. But let's just pretend that Kyle <laughs> also wanted to do dentistry. <laughs> How easy would it be for him to uh, get a dental license? Um, I think you have to go through um, definitely examinations set by the Australian Dental Council. So it involves theoretical and practical exams. Okay. Uh, and also you have to go through some PLIVO, um, OSCE exams as well. Uh, it is probably going to take about one or two years to get through okay. the exams. And it can be quite expensive and quite um i think tedious as well yeah okay. i think the and if you are a specialist i think the process is even more tedious because you have to sit through interviews you have to present case reports yeah okay so kyle you can go i'm not and just give it a try right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's like three years later i'm still not in they're like this guy's not that good um so another question is, when it comes to demand, right, insurance, mm. the, way, the way in the U.S., the way insurance works is basically they kind of use us against each other. And Kyle, tell me if I'm wrong at any time here, right? Where there's a lot of dentists going after a small population sometimes in the city, right? So it's kind of like, to me, I look at it as kind of like fastest to the bottom, right? right. If, if you take, you know, if Kyle and I are next door and Kyle's going to take $100 for a clean and, and I say I'm going to take 90 the insurance is not going to sit there and say, oh, okay, fine, we'll give it to Kyle. They'll basically lower the fee, right? So we're competing right. against each other. In Australia, you said you have, what, 35 endodontists? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So can, does that mean that they can, 
yeah. in private practice. So does that mean that they can actually control the level of uh, fees and so forth? Or how does that work? So we are not actually being, our fees are not being controlled by private health insurance at all. So we set our own fees. And um, the insurance companies may pay like 10% or 5% um, out of those fees. Um, unfortunately, the insurance companies, they don't pay a lot of the specialist fees. Mm -hmm. So in general, patients, um, they will feel like they don't get a lot back with uh, when they see a specialist. So they know that it's going to be quite expensive. Mm. Yeah. So is it in the United States, we have uh, government health care, uh, government dental care for elderly or for um, uh lower income families, Medicaid, Medicare. Medicare, right. So, and those generally don't, they're really the lowest reimbursement rates that if you're a dentist and signing up for those, uh, you really have to see a lot of patients to, to make that work as a viable business model. Uh, but there's also private insurance. And then of course there's self pay. Is that how Australia is set up too? Unfortunately, over here, the government actually uh, does not provide like insurance um, to people with lower incomes for dental treatments, but they do have, um, you know, community clinics and the dental hospital where the patients can access um, subsidized, you know, uh, treatment or um, treatment without paying, you know, a cent as well, depending on their um, financial situation. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, I got another question. So when it comes to, and I'm, we're probably going to do insurance a lot because we talk about this and it's amazing to us that there are other types of insurance and other thought processes. Yeah, so yeah, sure. ready. So, so you're, I'm, I had, I don't have insurance or the government doesn't pay or I, my insurance doesn't really cover that much. Right. In the U S I've noticed when insurance covers a lot of treatment, patients mm. don't take the treatment that you do uh, as seriously. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. I'm getting my, you know, filling done for free or it's very reduced price. But if mm -hmm. you're having to come out of your pocket for a substantial amount, like a root canal, right? You're gonna take that seriously. It's like, I paid a lot for this. So I'm gonna actually take care of it. Maybe get that crown it I need on top of that root canal too. Do you mm -hmm. find that a lot of patients are re really serious about, you know, taking um, dentist, dentistry and, and dental health uh, a lot more serious uh, in Australia? Um, I think that, you know, um, patients would want to know, um, you know, um, when, they, when, you, they, when they attend for the consultation, they would like to get as much information out of the consultation as possible to make okay. a decision. Um, and some patients do um, go around to different practitioners and get a second opinion as well before okay. deciding to proceed with treatment. But I do understand, you know, that if a patient has 100% cover for insurance, they might think, okay, uh, then I'm more than likely to proceed with the first person that sees me. I right. can understand that mentality. But over here, I find that, uh, you know, a lot of patients here would actually uh, get a second opinion or even third opinion sometimes. Yeah. And Before they proceed, yeah. Go ahead, Carl. Mm -hmm. um, with... What, what's the overall, I guess, dental IQ of, uh, of the patients in Australia? Is there a big emphasis put on you know, how dentistry affects your overall health? Uh, in the United States, I'd say it's probably 50-50 you know, um, mm. as far as people actually valuing what's going in their mouth or saying, you know, if insurance covers it, I'll do it. Otherwise, you know, I'll just take the tooth out, uh, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think the fact that I work in the city uh, means that I will see quite a huge sort of variation in the type of patients. Um, so, you know, if you're talking about dental health literacy, I would say that I get a really good mix of people who uh, know a lot about dental health and I also get a mix of people who don't really know much about it. Um, so yeah, I say I get a mix of it, but in the past when I used to work in a practice where um, we do, you know, at, at that practice we were seeing patients who were um, of a higher income level 
then I would say that the patients were a lot more well-informed and also more highly educated and, you know, asked questions to a greater detail as well about their treatment. Okay. So let's, let's change over to um, yeah. COVID, right? We had a whole year and then some is still going. A lot of people don't think it is, but it's still going. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to uh, control a lot of this stuff. And, the demo, and, and, and you know, Kyle and I, you probably listened to us when we were going through the whole COVID situation, just basically all the craziness and everything that we went through. Um, we were shut down for only emergencies for about two months. Kyle, how long were you shut down in Pennsylvania? Uh, completely shut down where I couldn't have anybody walk in the door for a week. Uh, right. Dental emergencies only two and a half months. Two and a half months, right? And we were about the same. We, we could only see dental emergencies for about two and a half months. And then all of a sudden we're back, right? right. And then and, and there are different theories. Okay, well, we wanted to save the PPEs for the emergent uh, hospitals and so forth to treat patients. And then others were like, well, no, we just couldn't get PPEs. And the, uh, you know, we don't know if uh, dental clinics uh, will increase the spread of COVID. There were so many things going on. So I wanted to ask you guys, how did you guys, how did uh, Australia handle COVID and shutdowns and, and why was the reason for the shutdowns in your end? Um, I feel like, you know, they initially sort of um, decided to have the lockdowns because um, it worked for New Zealand. Um, so New Zealand sort of shut off its borders, international borders really early on yeah. uh, when the pandemic happened. And they saw that they had success in, you know, uh, yeah. reducing the number of new cases. Mm -hmm. um, so I think Australia just followed suit and therefore then closed its international borders really early on as well. Um, with the lockdowns, I think initially they thought if we do have a very strict lockdown and turn our state into a police state, we could control this disease and actually um, eliminate it. So I think they were thinking you know, of doing that at the start. But I think it's becoming more and more apparent to everybody. I think now that uh, I think lockdowns are not really the way to go. Um, and, you know, uh, it's going to affect, um, you know, the mental health of people It's going to affect the economy, uh, businesses. So it's very tough to actually go through a lockdown for a lot of people. And if for, you know, dentists as well, uh, a lot of them have to reduce their hours, um, shut their practice down. Um, but um, yeah, it depends on, I guess, which area of dentistry that you practice on. And some dentists, they focus mainly on cosmetic dentistry. Mm -hmm. And I think they were really quite badly affected. Um, or, um, you know, if their focus is on periodontal, you know, management of periodontal disease or, and they were quite badly affected as well. So, um, yeah, so I think it depends on the area of dentistry that you work in. And for me, for example, uh, as an endodontist, I actually did not stop work from April to December, um, despite all the lockdowns, because I deal with patients with pain, swellings, um, dental trauma. Um, so I was kept really, really busy. Mm. Yeah. And also yeah, I work in the as well yeah even the united states i mean it wasn't just dentistry that they shut down it was right. pretty much any surgery even mm -hmm. if you had a broken hand or something and you tried to go to the orth orthopedic surgeon to get your hand fixed or a broken bone fixed they were turning people away saying the government has completely shut down any kind of other than life-threatening emergencies okay. yeah. they yeah. weren't allowing any kind of medical treatment let alone dental treatment or anything else. So was that same thing happening in Australia where they, the government was controlling what you could and couldn't do as a, as a health provider? Yeah, definitely. So um, the governments did provide all the dentists and specialists with guidelines on, you know, what you should do uh, and, you know, what you should do in your clinic to change the way you work. For example, like even using a high speed handpiece um you know with water um so i think um yeah definitely guidelines were set up pretty clearly from the start when the lockdowns happened uh and it made it very challenging uh, for a lot of clinicians Ch challenging for patients too because uh, well, they yeah. aren't able to get the the care they yeah. needed with 
fast forward to now, I think things in the United States have, at least in my area, gone, they've, they've been back to normal in my area for a long time. Uh, most of the country with vaccinations is getting back to being normal. Mm-hmm. With Australia being locked down for so long and it being so difficult to get into the country uh, with cor- mandated quarantines once you get there, uh, my understanding is things have been back to normal, maskless, because Australia controlled the disease so well. Um, looking forward and how things are now, are, are there vaccinations being done in Australia? Is, is there any worry that when the borders do open back up, there's going to be a huge surge of COVID since it hasn't yeah. really hit Australia? Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that and uh, asked that question because um, currently uh, I'm actually in a lockdown in Victoria oh. at the moment. Yeah, so we're in our fourth lockdown. And so I, uh, because we had a surge of new cases um, that were spreading in the community, um, so it got to about, I think, uh, five cases at the start when they decided to implement the lockdown. You mean five cases a day? A day, yeah. Oh, Jesus. That's like the beginning of COVID here. <laughs> that was like the first day of COVID. <laughs> we were like, yeah, we're fine. We're good. Keep moving. And I think um, we, did, we really didn't have any new cases for about, I think, 86 days prior. So wow. a lot of people then uh, did not want to have the vaccination um, because there were side effects associated with it. Um, and with uh, and also um, there's also a regulation here that you know says that if you're over the age of 50, then you will have to have the extra Zanica um, vaccine, okay. and that led to some patients with um, blood clots and right. end up at the hospital as well. So I think because of that, um, because of the news reported and also because of the few number of new cases in Australia, I think people were thinking, I would rather not have the vaccine. Yeah. You know, because my chance of catching COVID is very, very low. Well, you Um, know, it's not just you guys, because I know for us, Johnson & Johnson, the, yeah. the media also reported blood clots with that, and that scared a lot of people. And then they had to shut that down for a while. Right, yeah. Kyle, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so, yeah, it's not just Australia. I think everybody's just kind of weary on what to do next, what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. So, and I think- I think that once the borders open again, I, I think that um, they are currently trying to make some changes to the hotel quarantine system okay. because uh, in the past we had um, you know travelers from overseas uh, staying at hotels in the city and that led to some outbreaks. Um, so currently they are trying to set up like sort of quarantine systems that are just designed for international. Uh, ret- yeah. uh, returning uh, Australians, yeah. Don't don't let Americans in. We we mess everything up. <laughs> <laughs> don't let them in, Kyle. You're not allowed to go there now. You know I know how crazy you guys are. <laughs> no, I'm messing around. I, we've just lost like everybody that listens to us in the U.S. <laughs> um, but let me ask you. So you're a teacher. You're a professor, right? Uh, I'm not a professor. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, um, I, I teach at um, I teach at the student teaching clinic, and okay. I just help them out looking after patients for endodontic treatment. Okay, yeah. well, I'm sorry because you have too many titles, and I would think that you <laughs> being a professor is probably the less the least of your titles. But so you you you, you teach uh, students, right? Can That's you right. Tell us, can you tell us, listen to what we uh, talked about in the last episode about yeah. students and and just kind of in general, listen to some of the stuff we talk about when it comes to the education, dental education, right? How minimal now is, is kind of the minimal amount required for graduation, right? Just because of COVID and just in general. What do you see when it comes to the future of um, dentistry in Australia and how these dental students are graduating? And, and do you think that they're prepared or do they need to go to like a one-year residency? How do you, how do you see these students for you guys on your end? Um. 
they definitely been uh, the students at uh, my university have been quite affected because we had four lockdowns and um, the other states in Australia haven't had that many. Okay. Um, and they so they do lack um, you know clinical time with patients yeah. uh, compared to say the previous you know, um, the previous students that graduated two years ago, yeah. um, and so. Um, they do worry about it as well um, because they feel like when they graduate, they're going to be less proficient um, carrying out some procedures. But I always say to like my students, like no matter what you learn at university, that's just like your basic foundation. Because like learning is like a lifelong process. You know, once you get out of university, you're going to continue to learn. Uh, it doesn't stop. Um, unless you stop yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people do that. A lot of people yeah. do that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and also like once you, you know, get out to private practice, um, depending on where you work or in, in the public system, you might be seeing a lot of patients, uh, that require uh, dental treatment. So your experience will build up over time, but I think it's important to have definitely a good mentor and a supportive environment to work in um, so that you know you can actually progress your learning along the way mm. so having Con like an internship is a good idea i think yeah continuing with the education we're going to hit one of walter's hot topics uh, it would be tuition and cost of becoming a dentist in australia because yes. it's a it's pretty exorbitant here in the United States. It's ridiculous. 500,000 yes. or more is not uncommon for students to yes. graduate with. Yes. What is it like in Australia? Um, I think for the local students, um, you know, you wouldn't pay that much compared to an international student. Um, but from talking to, like, say, my students from Canada, they pay about, I think, seventy-five dollars to $80,000 a year for a oh. four-year so that's still quite a significant cost yeah, on top of yeah. that with, uh, they have to consider their accommodation their living expenses um yeah on top of that so do you have a lot of foreign students that come to australia to to, uh, to study uh yes um we we do we do in the past um so we do have a good uh, number of um canadian students at the university yeah okay, okay. Yeah. And and so, what is the tuition if you're Australian-born, Australian-educated? Okay, so just to give you an idea, when I was going through my specialist training, I paid about probably um, about thirty-five thousand dollars a year for three years. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so it's actually about the same, relatively. It's about mm. the same. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I was actually expecting way less. You know, because I also assume that other countries are not as greedy as we are. So I, I assume <laughs> way, way less. I really did. I was like, you know, because remember, Kyle, when we interviewed the one um, dental hygienist from India, she actually uh, had her uh, doctor's degree in, in India. And she said she was paying, what, like 100 bucks? Yeah. Some ridiculously small number. Yeah. Right. You know, because I think the rest of it is uh, subsidized by the government. So you're saying in, in Australia, that's not the case at all. I mean, it's pretty substantial as well then yeah definitely uh and so a lot of students actually end up doing like casual work or part-time work um to help to pay some bills um yeah okay yeah. so does that mean that the government so here right whenever i'm applying for dental school it's, it's really easy to get student loans i usually get federal loans yeah grants scholarships and or private loan right to yeah. pay for everything so i don't have to work at all so while I'm in dental school, most of the people don't work while they're in dental school. Mm. Are you, how does that work for you guys? How do you guys get, do you guys get loans? Do you get anything like that? Uh, there's definitely a loan that you can get from the government. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so basically you get the loan quite, it's quite easy to get the loan and then you just pay back the loan when you graduate, uh, after you graduate and you found a job and then you can, you can pay back with time. Um, but I never, uh, was able to get the loan at the time because at the time I was a permanent resident here. So um, you have to be a citizen in order to actually be entitled to a loan like that. Okay. 
coming out of dental school uh, mm. in the in the United States, I, I think we're about twenty percent corporate, eighty percent um, private practice still. And it's growing. What, that number is growing. Like, yeah, I think uh, we're going to hit twenty five pretty soon here, Kyle. Yeah, uh, corporate dentistry is growing in our area. What yeah. what is the employment options in Australia? I think that um, private practices owned by um, corporate businesses are definitely growing. Mm -hmm. um, so, but uh, it was in back in uh, two thousand and nine when I first heard about about them. So. They have been around in Australia since about that time. So about, um, you know, more than 10 years now. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And, um, and I haven't worked in the corporate practice myself. Mm -hmm. So I've only worked for dental practices that were, you know, run by the owners or run by families. Um, so I can't really speak about those practices, what they're like, but I can, uh, you know, all I know is that they, um, you know, they work um, in a practice where they might be sort of using the same labs to create their lab work, mm -hmm. or they might actually be able to purchase uh, dental products at a very reduced price because they buy more in bulk. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I really can't comment too much about the corporate uh, side of things. Yeah. Have you heard any horror stories from friends? that work in the corporate environment that you could tell us because you know, that's the one thing that you know not to say that this this podcast is biased but i feel like sometimes we can be you know <laughs> and we don't hide that we don't hide that you know uh <laughs> you know i think the golden years of dentistry was whenever you could open a, your own practice and just kind of say hey come in and everybody will come in you know it's changed in the u.s a lot but how is that you know because now you guys seem to be kind of heading towards where we were back in like the early 90s, you know, when corporate wasn't really as big as it is now. Mm. So what you guys seem to be transitioning. So you guys are like maybe 20, 30 years behind us when it comes to the corporate lifestyle. So how do you see that affect in dentistry in Australia? Um, I haven't heard that many horror <clears throat> stories, to be honest, but I, you know, I, I've only heard once um, from one of my previous dental colleagues that told me that, for example, she wasn't able to uh, order like a certain shade of composite resin unless she made a certain amount of money that month, um, you know, for and to use on the patient. Um, uh, so that, you know, to me seemed quite ridiculous at the time. Yeah, yeah quite ridiculous at the time. Um, but um, that's what I was told. And they have maybe targets to meet per month on how much they need to make. Um, and yeah, and so I think the dentists who work in the corporate environment may be put under quite a bit of pressure um, to, you know, um, in terms of their production. Yeah. Can I go into more specific endodontic questions since sure, sure. That, that, yeah. that's your main focus? <laughs> since that's what uh, she does. So. Technology-wise, cone uh, beam yeah. CBCTs are a growing. They're mm. they're not the standard of care in our country yet, but they are moving in that direction. Uh, lasers in dentistry. Walter's a big fan of lasers. Uh, I am love them. <laughs> uh, la lasers in endodontics is that becoming a, a larger trend in Australia? Also, uh, how are you implementing these technologies with endodontics? Um, I would say that there's quite a huge variation um, in, you know, like say for CBCT, how uh, often they're being used by uh, endodontists in Australia. And, and that is actually a topic that's being researched on. But in general, you know, it could be uh, ranging from say 10%, uh, you know, an endodontist could be using uh, CBCT 10% of the time on patients up to maybe 90% of the time. Um, depending on, you know, their treatment philosophies, on whether they do own a CBCT machine in their own practice. Um, I think there's a lot of factors um, uh, impacting on their decision to use their own patients. But I wouldn't say that it's the standard of care as well at the moment um, in Australia. Um, but, you know, with any new technology, I think that there's always going to be early adopters and also people who lag behind. And we're still learning more about it and we were still learning how it could benefit us. 
So I would say that I belong more to the conservative camp um, rather than, you know, the um, go-getters and, the, you know, the early adopters. So I, I'm still, you know, bit conservative about it because I'm thinking about, you know, the extra cost on patient and also the radiation that I'm exposing my patients to um, mm -hmm. and thinking about the benefit and risk, you know, applying that to them. So uh, in the U.S., I'm noticing a lot more um, implant love. Let me call it that, implant love, you know, where if mm -hmm. you've had a root canal mm -hmm. and it's, it's failing or it has failed or whatever it may be, um, more people are geared towards, instead of retreatment, they're geared towards, let's take it out and place an implant. Mm. Okay. For me, I'm like, I place implants. That's a good thing. But I also used to be a general dentist, and I used to think, hey, why don't you try to save the teeth? Because I can't do what God has already done, which is create something that has lasted a very long time in your mouth. You know, mm. I can't guarantee the titanium that I'm going to place in your mouth is going to last that long. So have you guys noticed that are, are more dentists leaning towards implant um, restorations than they are you know, trying to keep that same tooth in the mouth and, uh, and, and save that tooth? And then we'll talk about the conspiracy uh, document uh, that was on Netflix. And if you guys heard about that too, that's another topic I want to hear. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I guess in Australia, um, in general, the patients that I see um, really want to keep their natural teeth yeah. in general. Um, and also, I think that um, with endodontic treatment um, and implant therapy, these are two different modalities of treatment. Right. It's like comparing oranges with apples. They're very well, different. Right. And that's what I would think, but not in the U.S. It's, 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 it's either I, had, I, I can get a retreat or get an implant. There is no, this is really different from this. And that mm. seems to be the spinoff. And Kyle, tell me if I'm wrong. That seems to be the spin up here. Yeah, in my area, it's let's just take the tooth out. Or, or let's just take the tooth. <laughs> there isn't even a, you see? So like the educational level, depending on where you are, it's either take the tooth out, don't worry about doing a retreatment. And I feel like that's where a lot of people are going. Or just take the tooth out because it didn't work the first time. You know, Dennis, we, we, we have this high bar where if it doesn't work the first time, that's it, right? You don't go get a hip replacement and then say, this hip better last me 40 years. If not, I'm taking my hip out and that's it. It doesn't make any sense anywhere else in your body, but in the mouth, it does. Yeah, so have you noticed that? Yeah, um, I've noticed it, but I think that in general, patients are still very rational about it. And they actually, I think in general, when I talk to patients, do you, you know, want to have extraction of your tooth or you want to try retreatment? Um, in most cases, I'll say that the patients would really want to try to save their tooth, maybe because um, I'm already seeing patients who are already biased in their thought process. Uh, because the dentist would have already screened through the patients and say, do you want to see the endodontist to try to save your tooth or do you want to take out the tooth? And the patients probably say to the dentist, I want to save my tooth and then get referred to me. So I might be seeing a biased group of patients, first of all. But I always say to my patients that, you know, um, if you manage to say, keep your tooth for another five or 10 years, um, you know, we don't know what uh, further research is gonna be done in implant dentistry in the future to change how implants are going to work. And if you think back 20 years ago, I mean, the type of implants that you use now is gonna be different to the type of implants oh, yeah. that you used 20 years ago. Right. And the technology that you have the way you do the treatment might be different as well. So I guess, you know, um, I would say to my patients, look, if you go ahead with implant therapy, bear in mind that you need to understand the complications and risks associated with implant therapy, because it's a very different modality of treatment. Um, and sometimes I actually advise my patient to go and seek an advice from um, a periodontist first before they do come back for endodontic retreatment, if they're unsure about proceeding. Um, and then that way they can be very well informed about the decisions that they make. How about uh, something I've noticed uh, in the general population of the United States is uh, I, I think as social media and the internet continued to grow, there was a, a decrease in the amount of civility 
that Americans show toward either each other or um, even towards doctors or, or people of uh, have it, who have higher education that are, you know, we're, we're there to help them. Um, there, there seems to be a, a larger and larger patient base of entitlement, not wanting to pay for things, not thinking they have to pay for things and more so a, a lack of um, disrespect with how they talk to not only staff, but providers in the United States. Uh, and I'm, I might sound like I'm overgeneralizing. It's a small population. You know, the vast majority of people are very appreciative of, you know, us trying to help them, but there seems to be a growing segment of the population that, um, you know, that sense of entitlement and yeah. disrespect. Are, are you seeing that at all in Australia? Um, actually, not at all. I find that patients are really... <laughs> we are moving to Australia now. What flight do you want to take, Kyle? Patients actually appreciate um, you know, uh, the dentists and uh, specialists much more because they feel like so lucky that they can still access uh, dental care um, you know, during times like this, you know, during the lockdowns, for example. And I remember one patient who said to me, um, you know, you are the only person that I've seen besides my husband uh, for the last month. And yeah. I'm so glad to be able to talk to another person, you know, yeah. like even just that. Um, yeah. So it that's, was. That's what we need to do. We need to lock patients down so they can appreciate our conversations more. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes. <laughs> no, that, also, um, because of the lockdowns, like, you know, when people are working online and not having to go into their offices, they like, I find that uh, they actually come to the practice earlier. <laughs> okay. All right. So they never run late. <laughs> and this it was so, great. This yeah. is so different. Like in yeah. the US, I'm like, you better show up on time after 50 minutes. You know, people are like, oh, I was running late. I'm doing this. People are actually showing up early to your to your uh, your appointment. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. We need to move. It, no, to I move. got I, I I've got <laughs> patients. We're we're trying to collect money from patients, and they're sending these long texts saying how we're being disrespectful to them and making them feel like garbage because we're just trying to get some money that you owed us for work that we did. And I, I just see a, a growing, or not just dentistry, but yeah, I, I don't like where the overall population of the United States is going because it seems, like I said, a lot more disrespectful. And I, I know I have some of that in me because when I moved to, to Hawaii and was working there, my boss, I, I took some of that with me because my boss has said to me, whoa, you know, just calm down a little bit. You know, you need to have more aloha spirit whenever you're here because things are a lot more laid back, a lot more, you know, and, and I didn't, I'm not coming from New York City or, or a very fast bustling place. So, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't know how that worked in, in Australia, if you guys were seeing that or not, but I guess you're not. So that is um, refreshing to hear, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I do have to mention that um, it's getting quite common for patients now to take up like payment plans to pay for their treatment okay. um, since the pandemic started. It's just that I think having the payments sort of spread out over time really helps patients to pay for the treatment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like care credit for us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, so so continuing education, we talked about that for like dentists in general, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and we're noticing more and more that in the U.S., uh, a lot of general dentists are wanting to take, you know, weekend courses, uh, different courses to try to do implants, to try to do molar endos. So basically do a lot more of the specialty, you know, uh, cases uh, mm -hmm. without having to go through specialty training. Uh, how is that in uh, in Australia? Is that something that's also kind of happening? And not to say that there's anything wrong with that, because I do believe continuing education and learning to do as much as you can in dentistry is a good thing. It keeps you from being bored and being monotonous when it comes to dentistry. But how do you see that when it comes to um, uh, the dental field in Australia and, and our um, companies gearing towards more like general dentists when it comes to these cases and so forth? 
Yeah, there's definitely uh, some clinical courses now that uh, teach uh, dentists to, for example, search for the MB2 mm -hmm. root canals, uh, place MTA. So there are courses that are teaching dentists to do more complex treatment. Okay. Um, but I think at the same time, um, it's like any other areas in dentistry, uh, there are some skills that will take time to learn. Um, and, you know, it's like, you know, you just can't watch a YouTube video and learn how to do surgery. Um, uh, no, no, actually, there are dentists who do that. Yeah, yeah so, you can. Yeah. <laughs> in the US, you can do whatever you want. Okay, maybe that's a bad example. Yeah. But that, in the US. That, uh, there are, like, for example, uh, there was, you know, I get a lot of questions from dentists about how to negotiate a calcified root canal. And I say to them, look, uh, we use hand files to negotiate down uh, a root canal that's calcified and it takes time and patience um, because if you rush, if you push too hard, you can actually fracture the hand file inside the root canal. And it's uh, sort of like a hand skill that you pick up over time. It's not something that can be rushed. And so if you do a weekend course and if they guarantee you that you can negotiate calcified root canals, then I would, you know, be thinking, you know, this is not something that you can just do on the weekend course. Um, you know, it takes really uh, years of practice to get comfortable at doing that. And I think so there's a certain limit of what you can learn on the weekend course. That, that, that's all that I'm trying to say. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that nowadays, as um, a lot of education is now online, uh, a lot of, it seems to me that more and more dentists seem to think that they can just learn a lot through just online channels, mm -hmm. uh, which I say to them, unfortunately, that's not the case. You need someone to probably watch you do it and actually guide you through it sometimes um, in those, some of the process that we carry out. And can I do a follow up? Uh, so a lot of corporate, uh, a lot of corporations are now building instruments to help with the ease of uh, you know, uh, dentists, general dentists doing more advanced cases. You know, they have um, root canal systems that you just basically take one file down and then you plug it with uh, the gutta percha, whatever it may be. You know, so they're trying to make it faster and, 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 and less complex to do procedures that are more complex. So, uh, you know, what do you think about that when it comes to that? And Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. Are, are you not seeing, are you seeing that uh, on your end? I, I think there's always like the a, 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 a push to do you know faster, better, but uh, and, and I'm not the expert, so I'll I'll refer to Avana. But uh, yeah, even if you can negotiate down to the end of the the tooth within you know 30 seconds, you, you still have that contact time of the sodium hypochlorite to really clear everything out. So. I, I do think there is a push in the United States to um, go from, you know, we went from hand files to rotary, rotary, where it was a six file system, went do, down to a three file system, and now it's to a, a two or a one file system right. and to get it to be faster, uh, it, which may not necessarily be better, but th there is a push for that. Right. And what do, you, what do you think about that system and what advice would you give to general dentists that are trying to push towards something like that? Um, I think that's uh, always been happening in general practice where they just want a very simple system uh, to use that will actually allow them to perform uh, endodontic treatment as efficiently as possible. So that's been something that's been, you know, recommended, um, you know, within general practices for a very long time. Um, but I think that, you know, the main thing that I now teach my students is that, you know, one size does not fit all. So, you know, you can't apply, you know, the same, you know, way you say prepare root canal to every single root canal that you encounter. So you have to be able to determine, you know, the case difficulties and, you know, the differences and to be able to watch out for you know, challenges that you might actually face during endodontic treatment and therefore be able to judge when you would refer um, to a specialist much better. Um, because a lot of the times dentists get into problems or trouble when they actually don't realize that the case is too complex for them to manage. 
and then complications happen and then that's when they refer on um so instead of actually you know spending a lot of time encountering a complication and having an unhappy patient i think the first thing is to you know determine what is actually suitable for you to manage uh, within your ability and then determine, you know, what's best to refer on. So, and that comes with probably lots of experience uh, with time uh, to judge that. Um, and I think that, you know, even when I was a general dentist, I've gone through that phase before where I take on something too complex. And then I just thought, um, this is way too complex for me. I wasted too much time. And then, you know, whatever you do then doesn't become efficient anymore. And then you have to deal with a patient that potentially lodge a complaint or be unhappy. Yeah. And then you waste more time dealing with that as well. With, with only 35 endodontists yeah. in, in your state for 6.6 .6 million people, what is the wait time if I was a general dentist or a, I was a patient trying to refer to uh, an endodontist? What mm -hmm. is the wait time? And if the, in the United States, you know, there's a lot of dentists that don't like doing root canals, so they don't do anything. Uh, yeah. Our our general dentist in the in Australia more compre or uh, yeah more comprehensive, where they're all trained and willing to do that. Or I, I guess the, my question is, are you seeing only the, the difficult cases? Um, and when's the last time you did you know pretty straightforward anterior root canal? Actually, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, that's a yes. You see more the, complex patients, and I get the complex cases. But um, you, you'll find that of that thirty-five um, endodontists in private practice, they are more um, sort of they are more focused in the metropolitan areas, and in the country areas, then there's just very few of them working out in the country in the areas so the wait list might be about two or three months before patients get seen in country victoria but in the city uh, usually uh, you know the endodontists can fit them in within a couple of weeks uh, and if there's an emergency of course we try to see them on the day or within 48 hours right okay yeah, it so sounds like work, yeah long hours as a result of that yeah. It, it sounds like, Kyle, like no matter what, it's still kind of the same. People don't want to go out to the rural areas to treat patients. They all want to right. stay within the city. So no matter where you go around the world, we're all doing the same exact stupid things. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Well, I, I don't know if it's a stupid <laughs> no, thing. It's, it's, it's stupid, it, you're, you're going into the uh, area of highest concentration of people. Uh, I guess for an endodontist, you need a or any specialist, you need a larger pool of people to, to pull from. So to go set yeah, up in a small town. But you have more competition. Right. right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Right. So again, you're pulling from maybe like, we'll say like 100,000 people versus maybe million. And you're no. by yourself. So you might see more people. So again, I think that, you know, but okay, let's just, let's, uh, my last question for you. It sounds like we've been talking really bad about Americans, and we don't want to do that. That's not good, right? That's not, you know, most of our listeners are Americans, so we have to be nice. Uh, <laughs> tell us something good about America. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Uh, <laughs> um, right, who's that question directed at? Uh, I'm talking, okay, uh, Dr. Timmerman. Yeah, what have you heard about American when it comes to dentistry and so forth. And then the one thing that, you know, I joke a lot, but the one thing that we have is we have social media to connect us all, right? That's how you got a chance to hear about our podcast and so forth. So what are some of the things that you're hearing about American dentists and American dentistry that you're like, you know what, I wish we would be able to implement this in Australia? Mm, Take your time. Think, okay, all right. <laughs> Um, I, th I feel like um, in general, I mean, the um, endodontists I have, uh, you know, uh, been in contact with, um, they seem to really support each other uh, quite well. And um, I don't sense, uh, um, you know, the competition between them. Uh, that's what I, you know, I've noticed. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but I don't, they seem to be very sharing uh, with their knowledge. Um, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Um, 
where I think in Australia, I think um, there's a little bit more competition, especially in the metropolitan areas. Wow. Um, and I would say that, you know, like if you were, say, a young specialist uh, that's studying out, you'll be thinking about, okay, what is going to make you different or unique um, to be able to survive um, in the place that you work at? Oh, and, wow. you know, why, uh, why is that dentist going to refer to you instead of your employer, for example, or your colleagues that you work with? So I think that's uh, something that, you know, um, I certainly think about when I was a young specialist uh, starting out and I try to think about, okay, what sets me apart from my colleagues that will actually encourage dentists to refer to me or other specialists to refer to me. Yeah. That's amazing. So 35 endodontists, 6.6 mm. 6 million people, and there's still competition. Yeah, there is. Doesn't that sound, doesn't that sound kind of crazy, Kyle? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, my last question for you. Yeah. Uh, in the United States, you can sue anybody for any reason. So liability is, uh, I think, always at the back of our mind, preventing us from maybe pushing the envelope a little bit when it comes to taking risks with patients, even if the patient understands that risk. And there's really, there, there's lawyers that advertise, you know, no cost to the patient. Uh, if there's, if they're able to get money, great, the lawyer gets paid. If they don't get any money, it's no cost to the patient. And then it's the dentist that is really having to pay out the money to defend themselves and you can't recoup that money. So that fear of um, of the law or being sued is always at the back of my mind and I'm sure a lot of other people's mind. Uh, is that same fear present in Australia? Is there a lot of uh, lawsuits that you have to worry about? Um, I haven't encountered uh, that many in my career. Um, but I would say that definitely from talking to other colleagues, uh, they, it is becoming something that uh, is it's becoming a problem uh, increasingly. Uh, for example, you know, when you treat a patient nowadays, you have to think about is the patient going to leave a bad Google review um, oh. after they've seen you? Mm -hmm. um, so I think definitely it's on the back of our mind that you know, we need to stay on top of our game in terms of you know, patient care, uh, quality of the treatment. Um, and if the patient wish to push for, uh, say, treatment on the truth that is very compromised, and you think that, okay, the truth may not last, uh, you know, for, you know, maybe it may just last for one or two years, for example, um, and the patient keeps pushing for treatment, then we have to do our best to make sure that the patient acknowledges the risk involved in going ahead with it. Yeah. Right. I'm not sure like, you know, if you guys use consent forms, we, we do have consent. Oh, yeah. oh God. <laughs> in. Um, and if they do wish to carry out, you know, have treatment carry out on the truth that is very compromised, uh, we do, you know, give them another form to fill in that makes, allows them to acknowledge the risk once again. Um, so we do our best to make sure that they understand the risk involved. And at the end of the day, you know, we have also dental indemnity that helps to protect us as well. Um, and also, you know, we can refund the patient as well to uh, money to help them, um, you know, if, if they really feel very upset about what has happened. But, you know, uh, most of the time, I think if it's communicated well in terms of the risk and complications, um, and if the patients do understand you try your best to help them with their you know, needs, then I think um, most of the time it shouldn't lead to a legal issue. Okay. So uh, do, do you have any questions for us about dentistry, you know, dentistry in the U.S.? Um, I think that would take another podcast. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel kind of bad because we've been badgering you this whole time. <laughs> Let's, I, I want to do this. I want to do this. I, I honestly think that we should set time aside so that you can, you can come up with some good questions 
and that could be in another teaser. We're, we're doing pretty good with this whole teasing thing. Uh, for the next time you come on, and we hope that you do come back, please. Uh, the next time you come on, maybe you can ask us some questions uh, yeah. so that we can basically answer some of the questions that you may have, or you could even bring a, a friend on uh, to kind of, you know, General Dennis or somebody uh, from Australia that we can also talk to about this. Uh, but one thing that I've realized, Kyle, is no matter what, dentistry is kind of the same around the world. We all have to kind of deal with the same exact BS. And then tuition seems to be the main factor. Again, I'm going to go back to tuition. You know how much I hate tuition situation. Uh, but no matter what, we always seem to have to pay a lot for our education. And then it also seems like once we get out, we didn't learn that much. And we have to continue to learn if you want to be a good dentist. You know, so mm -hmm. it seems like no matter what, if you're in the U.S. or if you're Australia or wherever, continue education is important. You get screwed over with tuition. Insurance mm -hmm. is taken over. Corporate dentistry, it is what it is. And then you just move on with your life. Did I sum that up pretty well? Way to end things on a high note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I joke a lot, but I, I do believe that, you know, yeah. we, we always think that the grass is green on the other side. When in actuality, it's just, hey, just deal with what you have to deal with and just do the best you possibly can for your patient. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I do agree with that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank, you, thank you so much for coming on, staying up late for us. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I, I want our listeners to understand that you literally stayed up really late just so we can make this work for, for yeah, everybody. Yeah, I, I so. tried not to wear my pajamas tonight. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> As you can see, we are not really the formal people, you know. <laughs> we are not a formal, so definitely come, come comfortable next time. We thank you so much, Doc. We really appreciate no you. Yeah, right. thank you for having me. Yeah.